Hi, you're listening to an older episode. The podcast is now called Travel Writing World. You can find the episode show notes and much more at travelwritingworld.com. This is Jeremy Bassetti, and you're listening to All Over the Place, a podcast featuring interviews with travel writers about their work and on the business and craft of travel writing. You can find the episode show notes, your free travel writing guidebook, and much more at alloverthepacepodcast.com. Today's episode brings us to Colorado, where Craig Childs speaks with us about the desert and dry places and the importance of familiarity, meaning, and intimacy in writing about place. Craig is an adventurer and writer who focuses on natural sciences, archaeology, and journeys into the global wilderness. He is a commentator for NPR's Morning Edition, and his work has appeared in the New York Times, Los Angeles Times, Men's Journal, Outside, The Sun, and Orion, just to name a few. So now, here is Craig Childs. Craig, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me here. So um, I want to talk to you about your new book, Virga and Bone, Essays from Dry Places. One of the things that struck me about this book is your ability to write about the desert. And I want to ask you about your approach to writing about place. But first, um, if you don't mind, I'd like to kind of dig in and talk about your book itself. So like, what, yeah. is, what is so appealing about the desert and other dry places? Well, I, I get the feeling that it's, it's not a, appealing to everybody. I, I think I used to believe that everybody's, every human being's greatest desire was to put a bunch of gear on your back and walk across the desert. And it sounds and sounds that it's not true. <laughs> but for me, it's uh, it is true. Uh, I there's nothing really better for me than uh, than heading out on a on a trek. Of, I guess from an hour to a month long, of just walking through this this place that's so uh, I don't know, brought down to to the barest level where everything is exposed. You're seeing the the geology, you're seeing the rocks as they are, you're seeing like it, it's not covered with life. And so the life is on a different level, on a, on a slower level or a more geologic level. And, and uh, sometimes it just feels like I've been slipped into another world where, where all the laws of physics have been reduced to just a, a handful. And, uh, mm. you know, you're looking for water and you're, you're, that's what, what your days consist of poking up little canyons, looking for steeps, looking for rain holes. And, um, you know, I, I like traveling in all kinds of landscapes, but desert is, I think the most severe, mm -hmm. but the most, the one I can survive. I mean, I've traveled in ice landscapes a lot and, um, um, they're incredible, but I don't know how long I could live there <laughs> But in the desert because it's familiar to me. I can, I could be there forever. Right. Well, you, you just mentioned that it, the desert is kind of bare and it's not teeming or covered with life. That's that's apparent. But 
And one of the things that your book alludes to, and um, if anybody has been to the desert, will realize that the deserts are kind of these dynamic spaces full of life and full of complexity um, that I think people don't really understand unless you step foot into one. So just in talking to other people, um, people who don't like deserts or don't go to deserts, what do you think uh, we typically misunderstand about the desert? Huh. I, well, I, I think we do misunderstand thinking that it is lifeless. I mean, life is really reduced there and, uh, and diverse, complex. And, uh, I, I think people just see it as, as empty and um, mm. and maybe empty has a, a negative connotation there uh, for them. But empty for me means you get to see everything that's there. So I, I think there's a, a sense of, of nothingness that people who aren't familiar with deserts have. Um, that you just look into it and and you don't know what to make of it because it it's just hollow. Um, and I, I think they're used to looking at, at everything that's on the surface. They're used to looking at the, the birds and the trees, and that's not to say there aren't any. They're just concentrated. And and maybe they, they misunderstand how um, how complex this is, that it is as complex as a rainforest. Um, mm-hmm. You're just including the, the rocks and the... You know, dry washes and the way they flow and the way flash floods work. It's it's a it's a different level of of seeing. So I, I think it's just a matter of changing the way you see it. I, um, you know, somebody close to me flew uh, into to meet meet us at a desert airport, and uh, and I said, "Oh, great! Your flight from Phoenix to Grand Junction. You're going over the heart of it." You're going to be seeing all these canyons and mesas, and it's not a really high elevation, high altitude flight. And and when he got there, I said, "So how was it?" Because this is my one of my favorite flights. And he said, "Uh, not much down there," uh, <laughs> which is so different from when I'm looking out the window. I'm thinking everything is down there, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I think that he just couldn't. He didn't have the eye to see that. Oh, all those all those shadows are canyons, and those colors are dunes, and and uh, and you know, if I was looking into a forest flying over, I might think a similar thing. I might think, oh, well, it's just trees. There's not much down there. And and so I think they're misunderstanding that this this is a place as diverse and complex and dynamic as really any other landscape mm-hmm. as any forest. You said maybe your friend doesn't have the the eye to see, and it sounds like what you're referring to is maybe like a familiarity with the desert, uh, kind of an intimate, I guess, understanding of the desert in order to see its complexities. Um, you yeah. think, is that the case you think? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's harder to see when for me, it's actually easier to see because, mm. because it's more exposed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of, um, I, when you were just referring to that, I, I was thinking about the ocean as well. Like you're flying over the ocean and, there's nothing, but yeah. there's everything. <laughs> oh. Yeah, and, and if you're really familiar with it, you would know what's under there. Um, mm-hmm. You would know the, the potential. And, and maybe that's what's missing is knowledge of the potential. Mm-hmm. You just mentioned the, the ocean here. So your story is about dry places, right? But um, in the title, Virga and Bone, Virga is, is water. Can you explain 
I, I, I had no idea what Virga is until I read yeah. your book. Could you yeah. explain what, what that is? Yeah, it's just rain that falls but doesn't touch the ground, so it makes these really uh, beautiful sweeping patterns underneath clouds, and it's, it's that it's just too dry or hot down at ground level. So you get these these um curtains of falling rain and uh and then there's just a space above the horizon where they where they uh finally disappear and turn back into vapor and, and head back up into the clouds. Hmm. So it's uh it's it's water that doesn't touch ground and it, it has a very uh um it it looks like uh looks like spider webs. Hmm. They're coming out of the clouds, and, and it's such a striking thing in the desert. I'm getting the feeling that a train is about to uh, <laughs> come by. <me. laughs> uh, That's good. Good. Uh, I have planes flying overhead right now. <laughs> you may be hearing the horn coming back. There it is. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> How common is Virga? Oh, you see it all the time. It's all all times of the year. Um, it's it's more common than rain. It's actually uh, that was that was an issue with estimating global uh, precipitation levels uh, from satellites that uh, that researchers realized that they were they were bouncing off of Virga and counting it as rain because mm-hmm. it was falling. And um, and I don't remember the percentage, but it was some. It was a pretty big global number, uh, saying that they were they were expecting more rain and found a lot of it was for Virga. So you see it all the time. I'll I'll probably see it today somewhere. Uh, I live in the high desert in western Colorado, and whenever there are clouds out, usually one of them is trying to unleash and not quite doing it. Hmm. And in your in your story, I think the first essay. Uh, you you tell the story of you and a friend kind of riding in an airplane in into one of the sheets of uh, Virga. Um, yeah, yeah. Could you talk a little bit about that story? Um, yeah, um, it's a, a friend that I I fly with. Uh, he's he's a backcountry traveler that I've spent um, years going out with, and when he got his pilot's license, we we started flying around in this little um, 1946 cloth wing Cessna and uh and we take it out and land it on dirt strips, old uranium prospecting strips in the desert and we stake down the plane and head off on foot. And we were flying through uh flying over Monument Valley in northern Arizona uh in August. So it was exceptionally hot. We could only fly in the mornings and wherever we landed uh in the afternoon we couldn't take off again until it cooled down. Uh, it, around dawn the next morning. So we were hopping from place to place. And uh, and right over Monument Valley was a big thunderhead that had probably played out the night before. So it was just letting loose the last of its rain and all this virga was falling down into the monuments of Monument Valley. And uh, I just asked him, hey, could we go over there and fly through that virga? And so he turned the plane and we we flew right through the middle of this veil of, of rain that was probably evaporating at about a thousand feet in elevation. I mean, we were 4,000 feet up. And, uh, and so we just passed right through this curtain and you can really feel the, 
not the, the turbulence. It wasn't a it wasn't a, a bumpy ride. It wasn't like going through a, a hard rainfall where you'd be just driving down and up. It was just this slow drop going down a hill as we entered the the cool air and the moisture that was coming down out of the cloud and. And I got to see how much rain was actually in there, which wasn't much at all. Um, maybe uh, 20 or 30 drops hit the windscreen oh, wow. as we passed through it. So it was just, it was a drizzle. It was falling out of the cloud. And and it, you know, we were expecting it to be bumpier, but it was just this, just going through the drape of air. It was, it was a beautiful experience. Uh, now I've always wondered how much rain is really falling there, and you know, looking out the the window and seeing the drops falling, that, that was wild just to see these comets heading heading for Earth, mm. and then they would eventually just fizzle out, it's burn up before hitting the ground. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what Virga is. Yeah, your descriptions um, of, of of Virga and also the landscapes in your book are kind of descriptive. Of course, but you know, for someone who hasn't spent any time in the desert, they're you know very kind of I don't know lyrical. I don't know if that's the right word, but they're very. It pulls me pulls me into that space. You just mentioned the story about your friend taking you up into the airplane, and you didn't name him. And in the book, <laughs> you don't name. <clears throat> excuse me. In the book, you don't name anyone else. So yeah. Why did you decide to not name any of the characters in your book? Well, I think I, other other books that I write have a lot of characters, have a lot of researchers and 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 uh, names for the readers to memorize and and I really wanted this to be more about the place. And I often feel like that when I'm writing is that I appreciate the people that I'm with and what they're adding to it. But really, we're all just uh, there for scale. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I'm really after is the the place or the history, the you know the deeper thing than our you know, the brief moment on the surface. And and uh, this was an easy place for me to do it, just to say, you know, we all we all are just running around on top of this thing, which is I'm actually writing about the thing and not about us. Mm-hmm. So. I, I I don't get to do that very often uh, because I do need to say okay so you're going to see this character again and again and again so here's the person's name um, uh, but really at its heart I don't want to have a name myself when I'm out there I don't I you know when I did a lot of long long trips multi-month trips um, in my 20s and 30s. I remember thinking that a lot, that I'd be way, way out on a trip, you know, back into a dune field or wherever. And and I would just think, oh, I, I think I'm forgetting my name. You know, I think <laughs> I was, I've been out here long enough that it's starting to slip away from me, which is great. <laughs> because mm-hmm. I, I don't, I, I want to be closer to this than I want to be to me, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I feel like there's always so much chatter in our brains. Uh, and then you look across, especially places I like to travel have, have dunes. And you look across these dunes and you're just going, God, this is just 
physically perfect. It is just it adheres perfectly to resistance and wind and and uh, and I feel so clunky moving through here that that what I'm really here for is this other thing, not for the clunky people that we are. And and this book was a place for me to to get into that a little bit more. Hmm, that's interesting. Uh, off chance, are, do you read up on Buddhist thinking or anything like that? I do. I, I spend a, a an odd amount of time in my life around Buddhism. Okay. <laughs> Not always planned. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just but I, the, I have have read up. Yeah. The way that you spoke about uh, about that sounded like uh, you're approaching kind of some of these core Buddhist you know, ideas, like the dissolution of the self and you know the chatter of the mind. Uh, so it's in- yeah. Yeah, I do. I think that exists out there. And that's one of the things that I really like about the desert is that it does reduce all those elements. There isn't so much chatter, or at least the chatter is much older and deeper and it has to do with you know, the, the substrate underneath you rather than everything that's gathering and clawing and trying to get to the sun on the top. You know, I just, I like rocks. Maybe that's it. <laughs> <laughs> So, well, so how does, you know, how does one write compellingly about rocks? Well, I, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> well, I think uh, you do a good job <laughs> writing about sand and rocks. But, so how do you do it? <laughs> I Well, one thing is I, I need a story. Um, and that's uh, that's why we're, we're there. That's why the humans are there, even though I'm not naming us. Uh, because we're having an experience that that's significant somehow that there are, there are elements that come together that, uh, um, uh, that you're, you're moving through these rocks and you're having experience. And I'm writing about what it feels like to be moving through the day to have something un- unusual happen. Uh, um, there was, there was a, that one chapter on balanced rocks where I went out with a, a sculptor and we backpacked through, you know, lots and lots of boulders that were all up on pedestals, balanced rocks. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so I brought us in there as, as a reference point. And I guess that's what, that's what I use to make the story move is, is, uh, is the experience, the narrative and being with him down on our hands and knees, looking under boulders and, you know, measuring the, the size of the pedestals and, and talking about, this place and I'm, I'm using our, our experience as a way of conveying the rock or, you know, you write about a rock that's jammed into a, a narrow Canyon and you're using it to climb down and, and you're, you're feeling it. You're feeling this sandstone in your hand and, and knowing something about that stone, but your life is also hanging on it. And, and so maybe that's, that's necessary for me is, is to have your life hanging on it. Uh, what, what do you that's mean? What, what, what do you mean it, uh, that it that it matters to your existence that this rock is here that you're you're using this this uh chalk stone that's that's jammed in a canyon as a as a climbing tool and you're inside of a canyon that's made of just stone and there's rock against your shoulders and rock on your hand and and so it's not abstract it's mm-hmm. very present it, it matters to your life and, and I think that that gives the story some power. So to have Hope. familiarity and intimacy with the place uh, that you're in um, helps you 
kind of understand it and articulate the experience of that place? Yeah. Yeah. Both to physically interact with it and to understand something about it or to be pursuing a question there. Um, I I think that it's, it's all, you know, reference points, context, uh, uh, how do I see this place and how is this place shaped and how do I move through it? And, and what kind of story is happening there? You know, what's, what's unfolding? Cause I, you know, I, I've spent a lot of time in the desert, but I've written about very little of it actually. Just, just the moments where something seems to be happening where I go, Oh yeah, there's a story. That's a chapter. That's a paragraph. Mm. Yeah. Not just the human story, but the, the, the the story of nature seems to unfold and to be very yeah. important in, in what you're writing about. There was a um, one of your other books. Gosh, I, I don't remember which one it, it was, but the subtitle um, is very <laughs> uh, kind of interesting. Uh, it's the subtitle has to do with um, there are two ways to die in the desert. <laughs> thirst and oh, yeah. thirst and drowning. Right. Um, so there's yeah. like this this element of of paying attention to a space will or, or or a place like the desert would kind of open your eyes to the fact that um, it's not what it seems, right? So the desert, yeah, we, we think of as this very kind of dry, arid, arid place, but it's one that's full of water and 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 full of life and integral, in, in fact, to to the desert itself so being familiar with a place like a desert would kind of open your eyes to to seeing those types of uh realities there yeah and water is such such a reality in the desert it's not i think it's the the lack of water makes the presence of it stand out so much more and that's where you're you're getting into the thing that people don't see People who aren't familiar with the desert don't see that that oh this place is made entirely of water. It may not be here right now, but it's shaped everything that you see, and wherever it exists, uh, life just gathers all around it. Mm. So, I think it's the the juxtapositions and the ironies. I think that those things are much more present in the desert than mm. other landscapes. What about the 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 colors of of the deserts? Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's so much there. The, uh, you know, like Death Valley, um, the colors are almost entirely rock, but it's every possible color. And you're, you're walking out there and you, you just discover that, oh, there's your first pink and, and there's your first deep mahogany brown and there's your first purple. And, you know, all day long you're finding new rock colors. Mm-hmm. And I think minerals actually occupy a bigger range of color than anything else, uh, just because there's so many different ways of oxidizing and so many different uh, minerals oxidize in different colors and hues. And, you know, the the red of the, the Colorado Plateau, Monument Valley, um, you know, you really get to know the different areas by the colors, by... Um, you know, the pale sandstones, uh, the, the deep red sandstones, the black Vishnu schist down in the bottom of the Great Canyon, and, you know, such a deep black uh, mm. ebony polish. And uh, so that's 
colors is a it's it, well uh, uh Ellen Malloy wrote a book, uh The Anthropology of Turquoise, um which she's another desert writer, uh and uh what was she really got into colors. Ellen Malloy. Okay. Uh she died some some years back, but uh she and I were writing at the same time. Uh and just a, a brilliant, beautiful writer and uh she, more than anybody, I think, reflected the colors of the desert. She could, um, yeah, she could just name each each one and all of their subtleties. And I don't think you see that in so many places. You know, the forests have shades of green and brown, and I don't mean mean to talk down about forests. Like the like trees, <laughs> mm. but the deserts are a different level. Yeah, that's interesting. The like, uh, one of the things that I. I I remember hearing about many years ago that uh, there is a tribe of Inuits or uh, I don't remember exactly which one, but they had so many different words for snow or ice. Yeah, And yeah. To, to have that many ways to describe something um, indicates a kind of a very intimate or close relationship with that thing to be able to perceive all yeah. the different like, differences. Um, yeah, the, so, so like I, yeah, that's interesting. I can think of different yeah. formations of the Tapete sandstone in the Grand Canyon. In places, reminds me of coffee and blueberries mixed together. Um, and you know, I just said I have different formations that I um, the Cedar Mesa sandstone in in Bears Ears in Utah is uh, is this Neapolitan sandstone of red and white bands that really stands out. I can I can spot it anywhere where it outcrops in a, on a different mesa. I can go, oh, there's Cedar Mesa sandstone. It's got those colors, mm-hmm. and you you get to know you know really thousands of miles of geography or geology based on on color and the way that it erodes against the horizon. It seems like it's, it's, it's easy to, to write a pl- about a place that, you know, know well. Um, but it may be just as easy or maybe easier to, to write about a place that you don't know so well because all of the synapses are firing, right? It's a, it's a new, yeah. <laughs> a, a new place. So yeah. like, how do you not get bored writing about the same what it, um, what it would seem to me as kind of a very similar environment. Yeah, and maybe that's the difference there is to me it's it's a very dissimilar environment that every single canyon mm. is completely different from the last one. Um, but maybe that's completely different in my eyes. But, you know, one canyon is full of arches and hoodoos and, and you know, burrows down into into these really slender uh slot canyons and then the next canyon over is short and and ends in a gigantic cliff with no no way out a big box canyon and you know just it's endless i think that it's an endless variety on the same theme which is rock resisting and giving in to water and wind and uh and so the the potentials are just it's fractal mm-hmm. just it goes on and on and, and I'm never done with it. And I mean, I just, uh, took my kids down the Colorado river for, for a week on their fall break. And, uh, and, um, that stretch of the Colorado, I think I've run 25 times now 
And then there's a river right next to it, the Green River, uh, flows through similar terrain. And I've run that probably 40 times, and it's a 100-mile stretch of water. And every time I get on the river, I'm just going, oh, man. Like, I know this is going to be awesome, and I don't know exactly what I'm going to see. And I'm going to find whole new places that are just incredible because it's it's so complex and intricate short distances away you'll find something entirely different Mm. Um, and and often when you're walking through like you're coming down a canyon and you can't tell if there's going to be a route until you actually step you know take your next step because you can't see over the edge and then all of a sudden you're going oh that's a 300 foot drop oh wow uh okay so we got to back up and find another route or or man, this this route just played out perfectly. The, the boulders are falling in the right spot, and you can dance down this and get to the bottom. Um, so it's every single step is is a decision, is a revelation. That's just how you navigate out here. Mm-hmm. It's just you're moving line of sight. You're where where are you, are you putting your next foot, mm-hmm. your next step? So you you have a journalism background, right? Kind of. <laughs> you, you studied sure. you studied journalism. Yeah, uh, I studied. Uh, um, it was a combination of print journalism at, at CU, University of Colorado Boulder, um, combination of print journalism and layout and design and graphic design. So I was actually moving to the graphic design. I oh, okay. I did. I worked for a newspaper for a while um, early on. But I, I haven't studied writing too much. I've taught it when I studied it, which I'm not sure if it's, so, <laughs> that's how it's supposed to work. Yeah. <laughs> well, so for uh, since you mentioned teaching it, like for for, for writers interested in, in connecting with a place more and trying to 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 be more descriptive in their accounts of place, like what would you recommend? Yeah, I guess I. Um, Apart from getting a new set of eyes, um, as you as you nicely said. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is kind of the new set of eyes. It's kind of it's. Uh, I I recommend a lot of experience on the ground, being out there as much as possible, and then on the side, I just read uh, uh, writing that really strikes me. I uh, like you know, Barry Lopez, um, mm. Gretel Ehrlich, Mary Oliver. Uh, read a lot of poetry. Um, um, Mary Oliver is a is, is a really important poet for me. Um, Joy Harjo, who's a U.S. poet right now. So these are all I, I read them, and I, I just go, oh man, you described that so beautifully. Um, Ellen Malloy uh, for the Desert Southwest, um, Gary Knapp, and these are all people that I've I've read a lot of, and. Uh, and they've influenced me. So I think it's a combination of, of being on the ground, really looking at whatever it is, uh, you know, your horizon, at, at the animals, the plants, anything, um, having experiences with it, but learning to write on the side, mm. you know, uh, reading the stuff that you really like, that you, you know, writers that you think are just killing it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I I'm not so much copying them as in as I am just saying, oh, I want to do that too. I want to give that sensation. 
um, what is it about what I experienced that had that powerful sensation and, and how do I like to have stories told to me? How do I like to hear them? So that's my recommendation is, is reading and experiencing and of course writing, uh, Mm -hmm. writing a lot. Um, I, I do think practice, uh, matters. I just, I don't believe that I am never practicing. I always am thinking that I'm doing the final thing. And then I realize oh, I was just practice. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm always fooling myself to, to think that I'm actually doing it when I'm really just practicing. Yeah. Well, sounds like uh, it's good advice. So thank you for sharing with us uh, yeah. your, your tips on a final note. Um, where can we find you online? Oh, I'm, I, I pop up here and there. Um, uh, I, I write for a, a blog, uh, called last word on nothing. Um, that I highly recommend. It's, it's a group of 12 nature writers from around or not nature writers, science writers from around the world. Um, and we just run our own blog. It's an unpaid thing. It's kind of our, uh, um, you know, the stories that we can't publish or the, the things we really want to say, uh, some of, uh, about either the sciences we're researching or, or whatever is going on in the world. So I, I think last word on nothing is an excellent place. And I show up there every, every other week or so. Um, I also have a website called house of rain.com that, uh, I try to keep an eye on. Okay. But it's hard to keep up on that stuff because uh, there's a lot going on out in the other world that has no internet. Yeah. Yeah. We'll put those links in the show notes and, uh, I, you know, I appreciate your time coming on. I know well, I read somewhere that right. you just recently, uh, purchased a cell phone. <laughs> so I'm glad, uh, we're putting it to use. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's always, uh, it's a labyrinth when we get back in the civilization. Yeah. Well, good. Uh, thank you so much for your time and I uh, wish you success with this new book and, uh, look forward to reading more. Well, thanks, Jeremy. I appreciate you having me on here. Thanks, Greg. I hope you enjoyed the interview. You can find the episode show notes and much more at alloverthepacepodcast.com. Please remember to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app. And if you find the show valuable, please consider leaving a review or supporting the show with only a few dollars a month at patreon.com slash all over the place. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash all over the place. Thanks for your support.